Welcome to another episode of Profiles in Leadership. I am your host, Steve Anderson, and today we have a great guest in Coach Kevin Eastman. Kevin Eastman is a corporate speaker and an internationally known basketball clinician who brings his knowledge and experience in sports to the business world. He speaks on various topics, including championship culture, teamwork, leadership, motivation, and individual success. Over his 40 years in the game, Kevin has coached basketball at all levels, including 13 years in the NBA. He was a top assistant to Doc Rivers with the 2008 NBA World Championship Boston Celtics, and most recently served as an assistant coach and vice president of basketball operations with the Los Angeles Clippers. He has worked with Chris Paul, LeBron James, Blake Griffin, Kobe Bryant, Kevin Garnett, Kevin Durant, Ray Allen, Kevin Love, Paul Pierce, just to name a few. He is the author of his current book, which is entitled, Why the Best Are the Best. Kevin, a New Jersey native, earned his bachelor's and master's degrees from the University of Richmond, where he was a captain of the Spider basketball team. Well, thanks very much for being here, Coach Eastman. It's really a great pleasure to talk to you, and I'm really looking forward to this discussion. No, really, the pleasure is mine. Uh, I know you're doing a lot with the, these types of interviews and helping a lot of people and impacting yeah. people, so uh, it's fun to be a part of it. Well, thank you. Thank you. You know, in your book, Why the Best are the Best, uh, you share your child, share that your childhood was not perfect, and you faced some real challenges early on. And, and how does a young boy rise to the level of success that you've had with such a tough start uh, including especially dealing with your mom's suicide at such a young age. Yeah, well, you know, it's not the uh, most fun uh, thing to talk about even after all these years, yeah. but uh, I've come to grips with it. You know, uh, it, it happened when I was right, right around five or six years old, and even though I should probably remember some of the things that we did together, for whatever reason, I blanked it out. Yeah. So I don't know anything uh, other than pictures I've seen, and we've gone and talked to some relatives. You know, they tell me, "Hey, you're you're just like her. She's got a, uh, you know, a, a kind of a, a good sense of humor and enjoys people." Yeah. Uh, so I know some of the characteristics were the same. But you know, as I think back on it, probably the biggest thing that it taught me uh, was that we should try and eliminate all of the regrets in our life before we pass away. Yeah. So for instance, I never got to whatever you do with your mom, uh, maybe you know, hit her on the butt and then go hide behind the sofa. I didn't get to do that. Yeah. I didn't yeah. get to ruffle her hair and then uh, run around. I didn't get to do that. So um, uh, that's a regret I can never change. So I often tell people when I speak, Take care of those regrets now. It's yeah. actually helped me because some regrets that I've had, uh, I've taken or tried to take care of, and they're not easy to take care of yeah, sometimes. Yeah. Uh, so uh, that was the big thing, and, and um, just that those who are close to you, uh, just make sure that uh, you, you appreciate that time as you're going through it. Um, but it also probably shaped me because I'm kind of a, uh, get things done guy. Uh, I often do them, and my wife will say, to my detriment uh, by myself. Yeah. Uh, but uh, the fact of the matter is that uh, probably in some way uh, it might have been a blessing to help me in my career. So you had to really step up and kind of take care of yourself at an earlier age than most. Probably. Yeah, and I don't remember because when when that is your way of life, that's all you, that's know. All you know. So yeah. it's just like, you know, in our occupations we travel a lot. And people say, well, gosh, how can you be on the road that many days a year? Mm -hmm. And the fact of the matter is, um, that's all we know. Yeah. In my yeah. life as so, an NBA coach, you just get on a plane, go play go. in a city, uh, then get back on the plane and go play in another city. Yeah. It's just it's a way it of life. It's a way of life. You've described great leaders as listeners, thinkers, and storytellers. So explain what you're referring to when you describe these, these three skills. Well, I, I, I think in particular, the most important one to me uh, is listening. You know, mm -hmm. your ability to, to actually uh, listen with your ears and your eyes. Uh, and I say with your eyes because you have to be able to judge uh, body language. Mm -hmm. They may be saying A, but deep down they're thinking B. Yeah. And you gotta be able to see that. And, and Doc Rivers, the guy I worked for uh, with the Boston Celtics and Los Angeles Clippers, he was the best at reading people. Mm -hmm. um, so even above the other two, I mean, storytelling, sure, you want to be able to uh, uh, obviously tell some stories that can impact 
uh, even further the point you're trying to get across to your people and those you lead. Um, but listening is the key because to me, leadership is a position you're fortunate enough to get, right? So it's a position of uh, responsibility and accountability, but it's a position that really is not about you. Like uh, maybe on the way up, it is about you, but once you get there, you have to turn that off. It's all about those people you are leading. And I think the best way you can show respect to someone is to A, ask for, and then B, listen to. You know, one of the most impactful things that Doc Rivers ever did with me, and I I usually tell this when I speak on leadership, uh, is uh, early in my career uh, when I was first in the NBA, and I was a rookie in the NBA, right? Didn't play there, uh, didn't coach there, so uh, it was new to me. And I'll never forget, about six months in, seven months in, he calls me, he gets his administrative assistant to come get me and says, hey, Doc wants to see you. Well, you know, that's not always a good thing. <laughs> yeah. So, what of course, I do? Uh, I'm in it, trouble. Yeah, it, it, it was kind of a short walk to his office, but in that short walk, I was probably thinking of 17,000 things I might have done mm-hmm. wrong, right? So I get in there and he says, shut the door. That's the second thing that's not good, <laughs> yeah. right? Yeah. So then he said, uh, so it's him behind his desk and I'm sitting in a chair and he says, hey, I, I, I got it. I need your opinion on something. Well, you know, I turned around like, who's he, who's he, who's he asking? Yeah. You know, uh, but what that taught me when I left, I thought, uh, well, first of all, he had me for the rest of my career. You know, I was, I was loyal anyway, but that alone, because when you bring in somebody and ask them for their opinion, and then he listened to my opinion on that subject, mm-hmm. um, that to me taught me the lesson that, uh, number one, I should probably do that when I become the leader. But number two, the most important part of that after the ask was the listen. He listened intently. He took some notes as I was talking. So uh, that's why listening to me always becomes crucial right. uh, in leadership. And when we talk about leadership, it, it's a common, you know, a lot of people will say that and believe that as, as do I. I think it's one of the most important skills that we can do. Yet I wonder, in your experience working with executives and, and, and businesses, um, you know, are they good listeners? Uh, and, and uh, you know, why aren't we better listeners? Well, I think some of it is the pace uh, yeah. with which we live our lives, and uh, we always want to get on to the next thing. And then uh, some of it is we forget uh, that we actually should be listening when we're a leader, right? Yeah. So we want to just tell rather than listen. So I often ask the question when I speak, and it's a rhetorical question. I don't want people raising their hands and all that. Uh, but do you, uh, do you listen to respond or right. do you listen to understand? Exactly. And I think the best leaders like Doc that day, he listened to try and understand uh, my point of view and why that was my point of view. Uh, so do, do leaders listen? I think it's like anything else. There are characteristics that are important to the success of, of uh, so many different crafts, right? Does, does, does everyone who's in a leader's, uh, leadership position execute all of those every day? No, mm-hmm. probably not. I, I probably don't. You know, I often say that we leak. You know, we're human beings. Some days we leak concentration. Some days we leak uh, uh, discipline. Some days we leak enthusiasm. Some days we leak passion. But uh, the, the key is to recognize that, you, that you're leaking and yeah. quickly turn it around. In a previous interview, we had talked with, a, with another guest about, you know, you don't see any classes in MBA school or anything like that on listening. And, um, and there probably should be because it seems basic, but, uh, you know, perhaps we could become better at it as, as a, a group of executives if we had some training in it earlier on, like you had got the training from Doc Rivers. Yeah, and if you can't get that, then then what do you do to remind yourself each and every day what's important to you and your yeah. craft and you and your success? One of the big and probably the mo- one of the most important words for me is the word intentional. Yeah. So each and every time I come into a conversation like this, I want to hear what you had to say first before I jump into my answer. Right. Um, and then I also want to uh, make sure that every conversation I have has an element uh, uh, and an ingredient of respect and respect dictates that let the person finish. And then uh, as he's talking, think about, okay, what is he saying? What's he trying to get out of this this question? For me to answer it, not to figure out what your angle is, right. but for me to actually answer it so I can uh, get you the information that you might need. So, um, but I, I would suggest to anyone who is in a leadership position, make that one of your intentional items each and every day you go into that office. And whatever else your other two or three are, uh, great, but one of them has to be listening. How do you find that information? By listening. 
Yeah, exactly. You know, I love how you state that leaders take the complex and make it simple. So give us a real life example of how, how this would work. So, Well, the basic philosophy is this. We believe this uh, and, you know, we, we, we won a championship in 2008 with the Boston Celtics, beat the Lakers, uh, lost one in 2010 for those Laker fans who might be listening. So you get your <laughs> kudos. Um, but we, we kind of have a philosophy that uh, success lies in the simplicity. Confusion lives in the sophistication. Right. A very simple, uh, uh, probably... Uh, concept in, in our world of basketball. There's a there's an action called a pick and roll, right? Now, many teams have six, seven, eight ways to defend the pick and roll. We had two, and we won a championship because we didn't, we, we thought uh, uh, a hesitant athlete is a non-athlete, mm -hmm. and a hesitant athlete becomes a hesitant when he's got to think too much. Right. So we wanted it very simple. If it's in this part of the court, we're going to send the ball this way, and everybody knew it. So we could get into our positions quicker. Uh, there was no thinking involved. It was all reaction. Uh, uh, so maybe in a, in, a, in a simple form, that would be it. In, in the corporate world, uh, the, the concept that I try and get across to people is make sure that, like everyone wants to hold people accountable in the corporate world, right? Mm -hmm. Well, clarity must precede accountability, Absolutely. right? Yeah. So uh, everything you do, simplify it, not so much that, that, uh, that uh, they will understand it, simplify it so much that it is impossible to misunderstand it. Yeah. And that's how we went about every directive with our team and also within the organization. Clarity almost became a, not a joke, but kind of a, the, the, mm -hmm. you would see a smile. Like you might even say, instead of emailing, I'm gonna email you, Steve, uh, I might say, I'm gonna clarity a little bit later on. Yeah. Because we wanted to hit home that clarity all those that basically clarity means take it to its simplest form. Yeah, that reminds me of a funny story. As I mentioned to you before this interview started, my dad was a basketball coach, and one time when he was coaching me, I remember I came to the huddle during the uh, you know timeout, and he said, uh, he said, Steve, quit thinking so much. You're hurting the team. Just execute. Yeah, <laughs> and it was a good. Yeah, I yeah. remember that to this day. Yeah. So yeah. You know, sometimes it's good mm -hmm. to have our mentors, and when you're a college coach, mm -hmm. to even have the president of your school sit behind your bench. There you go. Because I'll never forget one time when I was at Belmont Abbey. Uh, it was a late game situation, and I said to one player, "Look, when you get the ball, immediately pass it to someone else." And then on the way out, I told a couple of players, "Don't throw it to him." <laughs> Right. Yeah. So sure enough, uh, the very first pass uh, from the out of bounds to the inbounds was to this kid. He turned it over. Yeah. And afterwards, the president came up and said, now I understand why coaching is so hard. <laughs> That's right. Talking about know. listening. Yeah, exactly. I'm really impressed that you dedicate two hours a day to reading. Uh, you know, how can someone as busy as you uh, make that work? Well, um, I think you said a, a key word when you said the word make. So many people try and find time. You yeah. can't. Today's world's too hectic. The pace is too fast. There's too much clutter. There's too many demands on us. Like uh, I, I have some things I have to get done on this trip, and I, I tried to find time this afternoon, and I couldn't find it. So yeah. I looked in my briefcase. It wasn't there. I went down to the front desk. Maybe I left it there. It wasn't there. Right? So it's not about finding time, it's about making time. So for me, it may mean, uh, like today, uh, I got up around uh, four, well, actually a little, probably about 3.45, because uh, I wanted to get some stuff done. I wanted to get my reading together. I wanted to read a little bit, so I was prepared to go on the plane. You know, we, you and I are both joking before we went uh, on air here that uh, I always carry stuff as I look over at my yeah. articles because you never know when you're going to be waiting. Have dead and time. Yeah, yeah. yeah. No, yeah. Some per some people's dead time is other people's learning time. That's yeah. the way I look at it. Yeah. So it really comes down to uh, you find the time. It doesn't mean it's two hours straight. I have a ritual where I enjoy uh, uh, having a cup of coffee in the morning, and I usually start my reading there, and I can easily get an hour in. Mm -hmm. Sometimes two straight hours if I have if the day lends itself to do that. Right. So for me, it gets back to being intentional. Yeah, and related to that a little bit, uh, you know, lifelong learner is a phrase that's used a lot in in leadership circles. So what does that mean to you? Is that uh, obviously some of it's probably from your reading, but but what 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 else does lifelong learner mean to you? Curiosity. Mm -hmm. um, <clears throat> so we're doing. Uh, 
a consulting uh, uh, project for a, a pro sports team. And myself and another consultant was there. He was consulting on a different area. Well, this particular guy, without naming and names, he was a special advisor to President Obama. Mm -hmm. So after we got done each of our spiels, and then um, uh, the, the general manager said, hey, do you mind if we ask you guys some questions? Mm -hmm. You know how that goes. You've been yeah. in that other seat waiting for questions. They yeah. never come, right? <laughs> yeah. So finally, I sheepishly mm -hmm. raised my hand and I asked the GM, and he knows I like to ask questions. Yeah. I said, do you mind if I ask a question to, to Jeff? I won't give his yeah. last name. And he said, sure, go ahead, but just one. I said, okay. I said, okay, if, if, if uh, in, in one word, describe President Obama. And there was a pause. It was like 45 seconds, one minute, a minute 15. And he <laughs> said, on. could I use two? At that point, we're like, yeah, you yeah, can use sure. four. Just tell us who he is. Yeah. And he said, intellectual curiosity. Yeah. He said, that's what made him who he is. And uh, then he went into his question asking and all that. But as we talked more, he said, and this is relative to leadership, as we talked more about intellectual curiosity, uh, there was another step that as we talked about that evolved. And that was uh, um, uh, uh, vulnerability, Yes. right? Uh, vulnerability with uh, once you've gotten your answer, and you go out and you say, this is what we're gonna do. The vulnerability of your decision, right? You're gonna stand by it knowing that some people are gonna come at you and probably maybe knock you down, ridicule you for that decision that you've made, but you believe it in your heart and you did the research and spent the time talking it out. So, so you have to be vulnerable in those situations. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, and, and we kind of termed it vulnerable courage. So intellectual mm -hmm. curiosity to find the best answer, then vulnerable courage to, to, mm. to believe in that answer uh, and, and try and sell it to the people you need to sell it to. I love the way you describe that, that's great. In reading your book, um, I, I love your, your statement where you say, the world is made up of know-it-alls and learn-it-alls. And uh, are company executives open to the learn-it-all philosophy or do you feel like so many of them think they have to know it all in, in the positions that they're in? Well, I hope they don't think that because uh, you know, uh, one of the challenges, uh, the, the inner kind of challenges that I think leaders have is this thing where they have to be perfect. Yeah. And I don't think leadership is about perfer perfection. Uh, as a matter of fact, I, I would argue uh, leadership is not about perfection. It's, it's about uh, your reaction to imperfection and the mistakes and failures that will happen. Mm -hmm. So, but I have found in my travels, uh, and I've, I've had a chance, I've been very fortunate over these last two and a half years since I've gone full blast into this speaking, to uh, be around a lot of leaders, and almost all of them are curious. Yeah. Almost all of them are lifelong learners. Now, maybe their people don't see that, but you know, you do it, you coach. Yeah. So when you're in a room with them, they, because they don't have people to talk to. Yeah. They yeah. want to know just one or two ideas. What can I do? How can I, how can I make this better? This guy is a high performer, but he's a jerk. Yeah. Or she's an in, incredible numbers, but she upsets everybody she ever works with. So how? What do you guys do in sports to do with deal yeah. with that? So, um, you know, I, I I do believe that I think there are know-it-alls, uh, and I think there are learn-it-alls, and I think the people who become really successful are the learn-it-alls. Yeah. Great. So uh, you've also described Navy SEAL training and the point at which the mindset, when we're talking about mindset, so the point at which the mindset turns from caring about me personally, the, the struggles and whatever I'm going through, uh, to about the team. And when that happens, that's really when you get to the next level. So just take that a little bit further. Well, I think, I think all leaders and teams should study the SEALs because they actually teach through failure. Mm -hmm. They wanna take you to the, to the lowest level uh, uh, and, and almost get you to fail because they, they can test your reaction to failure. Because inevitably, uh, a, f a friend of mine who, uh, uh, we actually had him come speak to the Clippers when I was there, uh, he was actually, you know, I know 7,000 people say they were in on the raid at Bin Laden. He was actually in the house. Yeah. He was actually on the stairway, right, wow. as they were going up. And uh, he always used to talk about the, the water testing where you had to go down and, and you and a buddy could take one quick little hit and then I throw it to you. And all the yeah. whole time the instructors are beating you under the water and poking you with things. They just yeah. wanna see who fails first, yeah. right? So um, I, I think uh, what you're, you're dealing with there is, is simply that uh, 
the SEALs, they understand that you are going to fail, you are going to make mistakes, that success is not a game of perfect, it's not a game of failure-free, and it's your reaction to failure. And I think it's an important concept because uh, some people stop when failure hits them. Mm -hmm. Others start. Some people treat it as devastation. Others treat it as education, right? Uh, To me, the best thing about... about, uh, uh, failure and, and seals and all that is something Nick Saban said uh, a number of years ago. Uh, he said, never waste a failure. And I think that's how the seals live with their after action reports, right? And they sit down in that room and there's, there's no hierarchy. There's a flat line and nobody has a title. Mm-hmm. Everybody has a part in the solution. Nobody has a title. Everybody has a part in the solution and they go at each other as you, as you know. And, yeah. and some of it is you know, hey, you screwed up here. Now, what are we going to do to fix it? Holding right? people accountable and yeah. so on. Yeah. That, yeah. You know, George Raveling is a, is a legend in basketball coaching history, and I know that he's a friend and a mentor to you. What makes him so revered by, by those who played for him and those who coached with him? His insatiable quest uh, for more knowledge. Uh, he's a classic example of... Uh, I may not know what I don't know, but I'm going to find out what I don't know. Then I'll know what I don't know. Mm-hmm. If that all makes sense. Yeah, yeah. That's George. And he is such a giving person. I mean, uh, he believes that if you hold your knowledge in your head, then that's not fair to the rest of the people you touch. Mm-hmm. And uh, he's, he's kind of impacted me in that way. So uh, he's a, a continuous learner. He's an incredible giver. Uh, he's an observer of, 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 uh, of humanness, you know, how people act, how they react, what he can do to help people. Uh, if he sees somebody down, he can bring them back up. If he sees somebody too high, he'll remind them, hey, it's not always going to be like this every single day. But uh, he's a first class, incredible human being. Yeah, he really is. And if I can share this story, a true story. So uh, uh, I was went to in high school. I went to a camp that he put on in Pullman, a Cougar Cage camp. Yeah. That you're probably familiar with. Yeah. And I was a pretty good high school basketball player and wanted to play college basketball. And uh, uh, my dad had set up a, a, a went to George and asked him if he'd talk to me because you know I was like a typical kid, probably wanting to go to a school that was a little higher than my ability. And so George Raveling sat down with me on the stairwell of a dorm for 45 minutes, one-on-one with me, and talked to me about uh, a little fish in the, in the big sea and a big fish in the little sea and the whole thing, and basically uh, uh, got it through my head that I, I was probably a better choice to go to the little school. And I went to that little school and, and had a great experience, but uh, I always remember that as uh, you know, giving me great advice at a very impressionable age, and uh, he just gave his time. And, and there were hundreds of kids at that camp. So, I mean, it was, it was awesome. Well, that, that, that's George Rappling. Yeah. You described it much better than I with that story, <laughs> really. He's a great man. You seem to have a great admiration for Kobe Bryant and, uh, and his obsession with fundamentals. So how does that transfer to helping someone be their best? Well, I think it all comes down to uh, the simple things win. Uh, simple things succeed, and I believe spectacular things fail over the course of time. So um, if you were to watch Kobe and uh, in his off season and you watched him work out, you would be like, wow, you're doing some of the most simple things I've ever seen done. You know, why do you do that? As a matter of fact, there's a, 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 a kind of a lore around, uh, uh, I, I, I ran the Nike camps in the summer with their elite college and high school players and we would bring in pro players mm-hmm. to teach the kids. Uh, some things. So in particular, uh, one day, uh, one of the workers wanted to see Kobe work out. So he asked Kobe, what time you're working out? And he said, uh, four o'clock. And the guy said, now, wait a minute. We actually have, that's the second session is is four o'clock. He said, no, a.m. Four a.m. So this guy, he decides he's going to go get there before Kobe to show Kobe that he, he can get up early too. So uh, he gets over there just on time. He wanted to get there at about 3.40. Well, as his cab pulled up to the, the gym lights are on and he hears a ball bouncing in there and he walks in and there's a guy drenched in sweat. It's Kobe. 
right? So he had already been there like at three o'clock, 2.45, right, to start his workouts. So he watched for a while and he saw Kobe doing all these basic pivot moves like junior high drills for like an hour. So after the thing was, after the workout was over, he said, Kobe, I just gotta ask you one thing. You're the best player in the world. Why would you work on such simple things? And he simply said this, why do you think I'm the best player in the world? <laughs> and there you go. You see, Kobe can do all those spectacular things because of his mastery of the simple things. And simple wins, simple wins in, uh, you know, it's, it doesn't maybe get you in the newspapers and yeah. it's, it's not real uh, uh, eye-opening to people, uh, but it is successful. So in the business world, just do simple things really well and don't get too complicated. Yeah, whatever those things are that you yeah. have to do in your industry, in your building yeah. even. Yeah. Um, some of it could be, uh, hey, don't communicate by screen, communicate by face, yeah. right? That's a simple thing. Just get up out of your, uh, uh, from behind your desk, Mr. or Mrs. Leader, and walk into somebody else's office. Yeah. You know, let them control the environment sometimes. Yeah. It's amazing how much you get when you go on someone else's turf they're just more comfortable. Yeah. A mentor of mine told me once that I needed to schedule time to think. And you write in your book that think time and intentional thinking is crucial. So what does this look like in a normal business day for somebody? I think it depends on their schedule. I think you have to build it in. I, I don't think, now, um, I, I kind of maybe shouldn't say this, as my, as my wife would tell me, but you know, I know all the books maybe five, six years ago are all about time management. Well, that they they never worked for me. Yeah, priority management works incredibly well for me. So I make sure that I have a minimum of thirty minutes, a block. I don't know where it's going to go each day because it may my my morning may be heavy with things I have to get done. So I may put it in uh, at. Uh, 1 to one thirty or something like that. Just some time uh, to get away. And again, it gets back to that word we talked about at the very beginning. What are you going to be intentional about? Mm -hmm. Like, uh, I, I call it get off the treadmill, right? Because uh, everybody lives on this treadmill right now. And actually that, that, that number, it used to be like when we, we first started, it was maybe on 6 and we thought that was fast. It's on like 28 now. Yeah. And people are going and they don't know how to get off. Uh, and they're afraid they're going to get hurt if they get off. Mm -hmm. So uh, simply what, what I do and why, what I encourage people to do is uh, make that one of your most important things that day. You know, when I was coaching uh, at one of my stops, we got some do not disturb signs that are just like in this hotel. You were allowed to put it on your, your doorknob for a 30-minute segment mm -hmm. each day. And the only way someone could go in if it was an ultra emergency. And what we found was... Now, unless we heard, heard snoring right, <laughs> yeah. behind that door, uh, what we found was that people really enjoyed it because it was just, they knew there were no distractions and we didn't want them to work at that point. You know, I was the head coach at the time and a lot of times I would say, come to me with an idea twice this week from your 30 minute think time sessions that we can maybe institute. That's a great idea, yeah. Do, you also describe one of the words in your book that you, you believe um, a leader should have is humility. Um, why is that a leadership skill worth cultivating? To me, I have this silly little term, I call it leadership Velcro. And uh, there are certain s separators that, uh, that, uh, that uh, I think some of the best leaders I've ever been around have. Humility is one, as I've done, done all this talk and we talked a little bit earlier. Uh, I've had, got an opportunity to observe many leaders, many very good leaders. They don't have to be named people, mm -hmm. uh, but they're, they're good and they're, their company is strong, uh, both um, from a, uh, an attitude and, a, and a, a teamness standpoint as well as fiscally. And uh, what I found was, gosh, I, I almost might say 100% of them had a humility about mm -hmm. them. because. You know, humility isn't really just, uh, you know, thinking less of yourself, right? They always say it's actually uh, thinking of yourself less, correct? So uh, I, I think a good leader, uh, he doesn't or she doesn't put themselves up there and then they live up there. You know, a good leader has a humility about them that enables them to say, I don't know everything. Yeah. Now, I hope we've hired well enough that the answers are in our building. And if they're not, I, I, I'm humble enough 
to go outside and find the answers. And that's why I said to you earlier, I think the majority of the leaders that I've ever been around are lifelong mm -hmm. learners. They want to know. And I just think, I mean, I, I don't know how you are. I kind of take to people who have a, a, a little bit of humility to them versus some cocky person coming into the room. Oh, absolutely. And I think people that work in businesses find, um, uh, you know, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, uh, feel better about their leaders when they're willing to admit they don't have all the answers or they don't know exactly. But, you know, we'll find the answer and we'll get to it. I think there's a certain human humanness of that that I think that people respond to. Yeah, and I think, you know, uh, and this is a broad topic, but uh, it, it, to me, like, you, you hire your gaps. You have to analyze what are the gaps I have in my knowledge relative to what I need to know for this company or, 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 or this place to take off. Uh, so uh, we had a term we call we got to hire our gaps. Right. We also felt we had a higher culture, not have culture, right? So we knew what our culture was, but we wanted people who would fit, not think the same, right? Right. But the, 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 the foundation, as a matter of fact, I, I would argue that there's something even more important than culture. Uh, and arguably culture could be third, but we don't want to get into this. But uh, <laughs> number one is values, yeah. right? Because what I've also found in my travels is sometimes the culture has subtle differences depending on the department. The sales department's culture is a little bit different than the engineers. Mm -hmm. there's, a, there's a different vibe in those two places. These guys and ladies are so intense and goal-oriented, and these people are the plotters, right? Mm -hmm. And maybe they don't say all the words that this yeah. area does. So <clears throat> if the cultures can maybe slightly change, and Steve Ballmer told, taught us this too. He said, you know, at Microsoft, he even used the example, my engineers were way different. And that office, sales office versus engineer's office, way different. So we started thinking more about it. And, and with, the, with the Clippers, we said, okay, what's most important? The values. That's what sets us apart. Mm -hmm. The values must be the same, no matter how intense you are and how laid back you are. No matter how loud you are and how quiet you are. Mm -hmm. The values have to be the same. Then the second thing is the people, right? Because you can have a great culture. Like everyone wants a great culture and great people. Boom. You're going to be successful. You're going to win a championship. Nobody wants a horrible culture and horrible people. Right. Right. It's those other two where we have to make that. That's where the that's where the magic sauce is. Mm -hmm. So if we have great culture and bad people, they'll take it down. We actually saw that with the Clippers under the previous ownership. Yeah. But if you have bad culture and unbelievable people, you can stay afloat. You can stay afloat. Yeah. Right. So it really becomes the people, the people that become the key and the common denominator of success. And, and then we go with this thing called culture that we're all reading about these last few years. Right. Explain what you mean by uh, you, you wrote that your paycheck is your responsibility and not your employer's. Yeah. And I think that's a true. Uh, I'm not going to say the player because it kind of would be a boom to him. Uh, but I was I was uh, with a player one time. He was in his uh, second year. And uh, he was complaining about uh, all the money that other, the other players make. So, and it was with the Celtics, I'll, I'll yeah. just say that. So I said, well, let's think about this. Why do they pay Kevin Garnett so much money? Well, he's the best player on the team. Oh, okay. <laughs> best player on the team, what does that mean? He's the best player on the team. No, what does that mean? Eventually, we got him to, to understand that he brings a greater value to the team than anyone else on the team. Mm -hmm. He does, right? So what I said to this player at, at the time was, uh, well, first of all, what I said to him was, if you're good enough, the money will find you. Yes. It will find you. I, I mean, I'm a living example of it. Uh, this little skinny kid from New Jersey, he shouldn't have made as much money my last couple of years in the NBA. Like sometimes I would go in the bathroom at night, look in the mirror and say, man, you fooled him again. Like, <laughs> don't they see who you aren't? Yeah. Right. So I just think that that um, people need to be realistic and uh, and really, you know, there's a lot of con in this world. There's con in politics. There's con in the NBA. There's con uh, probably in the city of Louisville. Right. But the one person I've come to find out that you can't con is yourself. Right. And if you do, you'll never get to where you want to go. So, uh, I, I, you know, 
to, to me, just do the best job where you are. I know that sounds simple, but it's allowed me to get to where, where I am today. Um, I just try to dominate my role in the team that I work for. And the rest will follow. As a physical therapist, I can't imagine how these athletes can put their bodies through an entire NBA season without injury. And as a coach, how do you prepare your team uh, to reach these goals yet protect them from these overuse injuries? Well, for us, we just tried to really, really, really read our team because there's those guys who use uh, a boo-boo as an opportunity to just, I don't feel like working today, Yeah. right? So we had to really read our team. And then we had to be careful. We would do things like this. You know how some coaches, they'll play the game, and then depending on how the game went, well, we're gonna practice tomorrow for five hours right, because right. the game was bad. Punish them, yeah. Doc taught me this, Doc Rivers. We always made our, our decision on practice the next day before the game when logic was the reasoning, not emotion. Okay. Right. So uh, we would do things like that. We also uh, wanted we had this kind of little thing that we 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 always got back to and we always say it to especially college coaches in particular. But I think it applies to anyone who coaches people because uh, it's such such strain on the body uh, in today's world, uh, athletic world is um, who are you doing this for? Are you doing this to cover your butt? So your athletic director says, man, that coach is really working those kids hard. Mm -hmm. And at the same time, you're killing their legs. See, we always, we have made our decision based on their legs, right? Yeah. Uh, because if they're so fatigued, then they're gonna, uh, you know, yeah. they're gonna be in that physical therapist's right. office, right? We wanted actually, yeah. as much as I love physical therapists, we didn't want our guys ever around them because that means <laughs> that they were they were healthy all the time, right? Exactly. So just I I, th I just think you have to be and you have to use them. Yeah. You have to use the doctors. You have to use the trainers. You have to use the physical therapists because they know they know the body much better than we do. Do you think the NBA season is is too long? Do you think it's pushing the those physical limitations that uh, that a lot of players have? Too many games, yeah. um, for sure. What they try to do is actually stretch the season a little bit so there's uh, more days off in between games and you don't have the back-to-backs. But, you know, what the listeners and the viewers may not understand is a typical game, like especially for us, the years we were really good in, in Boston, our earliest game was probably an 8 o'clock start because it had to be prime time, right? Right. And many stuff. times we had a 9 o'clock start. Yeah. Well, that means you're not out of the arena till probably 12.30, which means many times we arrive in the next city because you have to fly out that night. That's an NBA rule. You have to fly out after the game because mm. at least then you have two shots to get to the city that night and the next day. Oh, really? Right? I didn't know that. So oh, yes. um, now if you don't play the next day, you can stay over. But okay. if you, we call them back-to-backs. If we play in Philadelphia on Monday and uh, Cleveland on Tuesday, we have to fly right after the game. There were times we got in at 3.30. The latest we ever got in was about 4, well, no, 5.15 because uh, we had some mechanical issues, oh, sat man. on the runway. So, um, you know, it's like any job. There's stuff that goes on behind the scenes that if people really saw what it was, they'd have more appreciation. I'll bet. How do teams build trust with their teammates and buy into that concept of team first and individual second? Well, to me, trust takes uh, the following. It takes time, consistency, and proof, right? Mm -hmm. So uh, I'm not gonna trust anybody the first time I meet them. It's gonna take time. Mm -hmm. It's gonna take consistency. Consistency, uh, do your, uh, even as a player, we're watching as coaches, we're watching our players. Do their actions match their words? They're saying all this good stuff. Mm -hmm. I'm gonna be a teammate, I'm gonna do this, but then they're doing complete opposite, right? Mm -hmm. And it needs proof. If, if you say you're gonna do something, do, do it. If you say you're gonna be there, be there. If you say you're gonna send an email, even if it's a player to a coach, yeah, I'll get that information to you uh, tonight, coach. And you don't get it, you know, there's a little chink in the armor, in the yeah. trust armor, right? So we don't get real complicated with it. Um, we, and, and that also gets back to this thing we were talking about earlier, values, people, culture, mm -hmm. right? If you bring in the right people, you, you should bring in people that you can trust, right? Now, the, the, the hard question is this, in coaching especially, and Doc and I used to talk about this, who should trust first, 
the coach or the player. Right? Interesting. Yeah. Well, that player got to prove to me that his that I can trust him. Well, maybe he's a better player if we trust him from the beginning, and he has to disprove. Yeah. Right. Going so, with good intentions and not negative intentions. So. Yeah, that's a great way to say it. Yeah. Explain what you mean by teamness. So teamness to me is a combination of uh, teammate, teamwork, and team. And if you get all those three things right, someone could come into your building or watch you warm up or watch you guys play and say, man, there's a little, there's, there's, uh, they're a team. There's some teamness going on there. It's just kind of a word. Uh, Shaka Smart, who's currently the head coach at the University of Texas, um, he's a friend. And, and when he was at Virginia Commonwealth University, they went to the Final Four, of, you know, which they've never done in the history of their program. Mm -hmm. He used this word, and he just kind of used it as an overall, uh, yeah, it's, there's a lot of teamness floating around this locker room. So I started to go deeper into it with my thought, which often happens with me. So basically, it, it comes down to this. Um, uh, if you're a good teammate, you're you're going to be over yourself, right? It's right. not about you, not about you, right? You're over yourself. If you have good teamwork for the team to work, everyone has to sacrifice, mm -hmm. right? And if you're a good team, the best example I can give you of a good team um, is the mantra we used in 2008. Uh, it's, it's, it's an African way of life and a philosophy, uh, especially in Southern Africa. Uh, it's called Mbutu, U-B-U-N-T-U. Uh, and, and we use that as our mantra. And it's, it had two basic tenets. People are people because of other people, meaning I can't do it all by myself. Right. I need others, right? And then the second tenet, I think, was the most powerful one that really helped our basketball team. Uh, and that was, I can only be all I can be if you are all you can be, which means, okay, let's take that team. Ray Allen was a great shooter, so he's over in that corner. Rajon Rondo had to be great at what he did to throw the ball to Ray exactly where Ray wanted it. Like Ray always wanted it by a shooting shoulder so he'd catch it and go straight up, not down here where it took him a second to get it to here and then up, because that second in the NBA, the distance closes and the guy's on you, right? right? So. Ray needed Rondo to be great at what he does and get all the accolades for being an unbelievable assist guy. Maybe even get more, uh, more uh, ink after the game than Ray did because of all the great assists he sprayed out to all our players, right? right. So if you have, and what that also says is, 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 is simply this, uh, it gets back to, to as I go around and, and visit these companies and whatnot, uh, the best companies are jealous free. Mm -hmm. And that's what that second tenant is all about. I can only be all I can be if you are all you can be. Yeah. I need to relish in your accomplishments and, and your awards and your achievements and the number of articles you get in the newspaper. Because ultimately, that means you're doing a great job. And if you're doing a great job, that means part of that job is helping me do my job great. Yeah. Right? It reminds me of a story back during the Chicago Bulls dynasty where Phil Jackson came in to, to coach the Bulls. And so here's Michael Jordan, and he says, uh, what am I going to do to show Michael Jordan how to be a better basketball player? I mean, he's, he's the best at the time, and he's, he's awesome. So he said, I just focused on teaching him how and helping him how to be a better leader. And then by doing that, you know, uh, it just mm -hmm. really changed the chemistry of that team. That They played more like a team because the talent was always there. They just couldn't win. Uh, the big games, and then, and then, of course, they went through a dynasty time where they won a lot, won a lot of championships. So yeah. It's an interesting, interesting job. You know, I, I agree, or I believe we agree that, that uh, we learn more from our mistakes than we do our successes. So just take it, uh, you took it one step further, and you said mistakes are going to be made, which you've already said today in this interview, but you also said just make sure they're new ones. Mm -hmm. So what does that mean? Well, that means you're trying. That means you're not making the same one over and over and over again, because obviously, whether it be in the corporate world or the sports world, uh, we have to cut you, trade you, or say you're fired. If you keep making the same mistake over and over, right? Make new ones is we, we don't want people uh, kind of uh, to the point where they feel like they're, they're roped in and they can't do anything and they're walking on eggshells all the time because I don't think we get the best out of our people when that happens. Um, so what we say to them is simply that, uh, look, uh, like I said earlier, success is not a game of perfect. Leadership is not a game of perfect. Parenting is not a game of perfect. 
We're going to make mistakes, right? Our, you know, our goal is to stay away from failure and mistakes. Our challenge is to truly, truly learn from our mistakes and our failures. So those mistakes, even though Kevin made it, if we let everybody in the organization know, uh, and we were pretty open with this, uh, unless it was really personal and we felt it would hurt the person, right. we wanted we wanted the company to know and the team to know the mistakes so that maybe it can keep that person Learn from, it. from making it, right? Yeah. So um, it just kind of gives a little bit of a freedom to be their best, we think. And to take risks. Y- yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, kind of, <laughs> we always used to say thought out right. and researched risks. Right. Uh, so we didn't just want them flying by the seat of their pants right. because that's usually when the pants get ripped. <laughs> so yeah, and that's, that's never good. a good look. You know, we can learn from history, and, and you state in your book that, uh, uh, you know, that, that history is important, but don't live in the past. So distinguish between the two. Yeah. yeah. Um, so I have a thing. Uh, we're getting into a lot of stuff. I have, I have a thing I call the three-dimensional look, look at success. We've got to uh, learn from the past, produce in the present, and prepare for the future. So when we talk about that first one, which you, you asked about, we've got we've to learn from the past, not live there. Mm-hmm. Because when you live there, that's when complacency comes in, that's when we start to cruise, and that's when we get beat, either on the court or our competitors in the corporate world, right? So, um, but we're very intentional. Like, if there are coaches watching this, they will totally, totally get this. Your players always say after the game, especially the next day, boy, we learned a lot from that loss. Well, they say it because it sounds good in the, in the newspaper, right? <laughs> yeah. We actually challenged them. What'd you learn? Yeah. Be specific. What did you learn? Well, we learned we got to move the ball well. No, that doesn't count. What did you learn? Move the ball well when? Who didn't? Who should have? Who didn't mm-hmm. encourage somebody, right? Who didn't take over a leadership spot? at that time to recognize, hey, we're going south right now, right? So uh, I think the big thing is whether it's a success, just learn from it and get on to the next play, right? Or it's failure, learn from it. You can't live there because if you live in failure, you're never gonna get anywhere, ever. And and everyone who's listening, and you and I both, if, they, if someone asks us, uh, hey, raise your hand if you failed, our hands would go up, I know it would. Yeah. So. Come on, man. Another legendary coach, Pat Riley, um, had a saying, the disease of me. What did he mean by that? Well, it, it can't be about you. Mm-hmm. It's kind of that, uh, what I had said earlier, uh, this part of teamness is, is uh, being over yourself and into the team. Um, and that doesn't mean that you don't, we want you to be good and produce at your role, mm-hmm. right? As a matter of fact, we used to say, be an all-star at your role. Don't just have a role. Because the all-stars at their roles, they get recognition. The best rebounder in the NBA, everybody will know who it is. The best assist person, everybody will know who it is. The best defender on the star players in the league, everybody will know who that is. So be an all-star at your role. And understand, we even got away a little bit from that word role. And this is kind of what Coach Riley was talking about, right? Uh, Because role... The coaches and leaders spell role R-O-L-E. Mm-hmm. Players spell it S-U-C-K. They think you think they suck. Yeah. That's what a role is to them. So we started to get away from that word role, and we said, uh, hey, look, here's your value. Here's the value you bring to this team. That's right? a great way If you it, do yeah. this well, you're going to be so valuable to our success. Right? Now, as a leader... I have to make sure that, well, we're in a public profession in coaching, but I have to make sure that that the public knows how good you were tonight at that role that the public never sees. And then I have to talk to my best players so that they understand, hey, occasionally you gotta, you gotta talk about uh, James and make yeah. sure that, that the people know that he, he was even though I scored the most points, he was key tonight. He made you look good. Yeah. Or he took yeah. a charge on Kobe to get his third foul in the first half, and Kobe, Phil, Phil took him out. Yeah. Right? So, uh, and we would say to our best players, if you want them being the best at what they do, our role players, you've got to trumpet them at every opportunity because you're going to have the platform 
every single game, right? Yeah. So that's great. You know, many like to use the phrase, um, you don't have to like me, you just have to respect me. Do you buy that? Well, not necessarily, because yeah. I, think, I think you can be liked and respected. I don't have a whole lot of people that have actually, I've been, like, they've been part of my life. Now, I might respect a coach who I've never had to deal with and not like what he does, but when it's me and, and they're involved in my life, I've not respected anybody I didn't like. Yeah. That's just me. Yeah. And I think like is another leadership Velcro. Okay, you can, and liking isn't agreeing with everybody all the time. It's maybe uh, respectful conflict, mm -hmm. respectful confrontation. Um, it's uh, truth telling. Hey, look, you didn't do these things the way you need to do them in this job that you have, yeah. right? So, um, you know, everybody says, I, I'm just concerned with trust and respect. Well, I think you can separate yourself if you if you put put in the like. Yeah. I actually saw a guy got fired who was trusted and respected, but everybody hated him. Yeah, no, and I, I think too, people that on the team or in the organization that can't stand their leader, I, I don't think you get peak performance out of that. I think you have to admire and, and like, if that's the right word, uh, the, the person you're, you're making all these sacrifices for. Otherwise, it's, uh, what's the point? So. Yeah, and I, you know, if I had it, if I had to choose only two of the three, I would choose those other two, but but yeah. I don't have to choose, Yeah. right? And and like is not that hard. It really isn't. It's please, it's thank you, it's can I help you, you know? That's why I say, uh, get, get out of your office as a leader. Mm -hmm. Get into someone else's office. I, I would, as a matter of fact, I, was always, I would always ask Doc this, uh, uh, probably every 10 days, what can I take off your desk that you just hate to do, mm -hmm. just give it to me. And if I can't do it, I'll come back to you and say, I couldn't get it done. But just, just and I do that, I did that with other people. Yeah. You know, hey, hey, uh, Sue, what can, what can I help you with today? Oh yeah. no, you're busy. No, 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 no. What, what can I help you with today? Yeah. And if they say no, sometimes I would have one in, in the bag. How about this? Or, yeah. then can you help me with something? Yeah, that really turns. I mean, that's it really that's really thinking uh, as you know as a team as opposed to an individual. So that, that's impressive. And it's it, yeah. Doc shut the door. Yeah, remember that? Uh, yeah, he asked me basically. So, can you help me? Yeah, that's that's great. And what do you think? So now that you're working more with businesses and organizations, what do you think the blind spots that leaders and companies have right now? Well. Uh, it's interesting what I, the one thing uh, that, that I hear the most, and it's kind of crazy, but I'll hear the, the, the employee say, well, I, I really don't know what's going on up there. Yeah. Right, I don't know what we're doing and it's, it's kind of unsettling. Then you talk to the C-suite and they're like, I, I don't know what's going on down there. And uh, I, can't, I can't seem to communicate with them. Yeah. How about getting in a room and um, yeah. do what we're doing? Talk, how yeah. about that? Oh, I, you know, I so thought the only- about communication. Yeah, I thought the yeah. only T word nowadays is text. Yeah. You know, I, talk is pretty good. Yeah. And being in front of somebody. Yeah, communicating, being transparent. Uh, yeah, I, I agree with you. I think there's a there's a gap there. So. Yeah, and 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 uh, you know you bring up a great point, and this is something I think you have to make decisions on in your own company. Do you really want to use the word transparency, because it backfired in one place I was. Everybody thought that meant the leader would tell us everything going on. They would come into the room and say, "Now Stephen's the one who screwed that up yesterday." Okay, because he did this, 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 and this. No, 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 no. Some things, like I used to say to Doc sometimes, he, he would, I, would, I could read his body language and I knew something was up. And I said, I got a feeling like this is something that I really don't need to know, so don't tell me. Yeah. Right? Because when you say as a leader in your first meeting, you've got the vim and vigor and you've slept for 14 minutes the night before and you've practiced your mm -hmm. speech and we're gonna have, uh, you know, incredible, 
incredible transparency. You're going to know everything that goes on. No, yeah. they shouldn't know everything no, that goes on. Yeah, and relationships. I mean, yeah. we all know that there may be something we think, but we we can't say that. That's ridiculous. But you know, there's there's you know, you have to know what line to cross and what line not to cross. Yeah, things what you're saying. Good call. Yeah, good call. So I'm going to put you on the spot here a little bit. So what like athlete, you haven't already? <laughs> <laughs> what athlete and what coach have you worked with that you admired the most and why? Worked with easy, Kevin Garnett. Um, main reason is, and I think this is a great trait uh, for, for gosh, for all of us to have. He would never put a demand on anyone else that he didn't put an equal to or greater demand on himself in the same area. Mm-hmm. I mean, you can't you can't beat that. Yeah. And he didn't care what level you were on the team. If you were valuable, he he made sure he was there every day to help you in whatever you needed yeah. of him. And then, um, uh, you know, we've talked about two guys. It's probably a tie, but you said coached with, I think, or worked with. Uh, uh, it would it would be Doc Rivers. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I went in there and took my first job with Doc as a scared to death rookie uh, coach in the NBA. And then I left as having just a really good friend uh, mm-hmm. that, uh, and it's not like we talk every day, uh, but you know, if I see something, I'll, I can text him the truth. Yeah. Uh, if he hears something about me and what I'm doing with the speaking, he might say, man, that was dumb. You know? <laughs> so yeah. uh, those would be the two people. Mm-hmm. And, and Doc is such a people person. Kind of, kind of interesting in that when he's in the room, you would think, oh my gosh, he must talk to people 24 hours a day. Yeah. But he needs his alone time. Yeah. He's got some introversion to him as well, right? There's there's a little bit of an introvert in that body, but no one would know that. Right. But he needs his alone time and think time, and he's an unbelievable thinker, reader. The amount of work he puts in to a pregame talk, it's kind of like Pat Riley. They used to say Pat Riley sometimes would spend two hours on his six-minute pregame talk. Oh wow! To set the tone. Yeah, and I also heard a story. Uh, Billy Donovan uh, told me this that Pat Riley even had somebody in the organization scouting for um, articles that he might could use motivationally. Yeah, that guy's or could be could have been a, a, a woman as well. But they they were in charge of reading every day. Yeah, right. And then they said uh, Billy told me that Pat Riley had notebooks full of. Uh, that was back yeah. in the day where it was paper. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Some of the young kids may not know what a notebook is. <laughs> <laughs> so what advice would you give new professionals that are struggling to find that position that really really feels uh, feeds their soul? Well, I think you have to have a truth audit. What mm-hmm. does feed your soul? Yeah. All right, what is your soul? You know, Oprah said something unbelievable on her last show. And I'll never forget it. It was a rotating stage. If I go too deep in this, you guys are going to think I'm a stalker. But she was on the back of the stage and it was coming forward. She had that kind of, I think, peach colored dress on. And she said at one point, take action on the things that whisper to you. And I've never forgotten that. It's actually why I I left coaching and got into speaking. Because when I was in coaching, every day I would wake up and say, okay, how can I... How can I help our team defend the pick and roll better? What can we say to Paul Pierce to get him out of the funk? You know, those were the questions. Those were the first thoughts. Then that last year, year and a half, I would wake up and say, man, that thing I read last night, that'd be good to put in a talk. You see, so you started, it was whispering yeah. to me. And I don't think, I don't think big life decisions, uh, I don't think they come to you, and I'll have to cover the mic a little bit, but, hey, Kevin, start speaking. You know, they don't do that. They yeah. They say speak. Yeah. That's, speak. That's a great way. So follow blah, blah, blah. that. Follow that. Yeah. Well, certainly pay attention to it. Yeah. Right? Because that may tell you where your passion lies. Yeah. But here's the deal with young people. Uh, I, I know passion is critical, and it's important, and, you know, the, the Simon Sinek, find out your why in life. I think that's all great. But if, you, if you're going to live on passion alone, you're not going to get where you want to go. The magic of someone's career, because young people, their passion is really high, but their knowledge is down here when they first get into a, a job. But when the knowledge catches up with the passion, that's when the magic of a career happens. And, and you know, the reverse is true for the old fogies listening to, to, to and watching this today. Um, we have a lot of knowledge because we've been in the business a long time, but yeah. sometimes we leak some passion. 
So if we can get our passion back up to the level of our knowledge, oh my gosh, that's when we can maybe go out, maybe even leaving a legacy, right? Or, or certainly going out, like, I don't know, you're probably like me. I, I think we have two choices when we, when we finally decide to get out of our pr profession. We can leave a job or we can leave a legacy. Right. And a legacy, it, it, people will say, well, legacy, you can't, like, I can't, I'm just a coach of a team, or I just run a 10-person company, I can't leave a legacy. A legacy is every conversation, every teaching point, every arm you put around somebody. Like, do, do, do your part in your piece of the world. That has, if you do that, you have a chance to leave a legacy with, with, yeah. with someone, right? Very well said. So. Yes. You know, you're quite the list maker. So uh, how does that help you achieve your goals? Well, when I make a list, uh, that allows me to simplify it, number one, and make it understandable for me. And number two, um, I, I didn't bring my briefcase down here, but I always carry this, uh, you know, it's now become kind of a, a joke with some people, but I carry this blue file with me and it's it's some of my more important lists that I have so that if I'm on a plane I can pull it out maybe uh, I'm waiting in line I can pull it out uh, so for me lists are just reminders of what I need to uh, to do to get to where I want to go you know sometimes we every time we hear somebody speak it we always want there to be something new Sometimes what you, the best thing mm -hmm. you get out of a speaker is, oh yeah, I have not been doing that lately. Mm -hmm. I get just as much of mm -hmm. that reminders as I do new knowledge. That's why I love hearing people speak. Yeah, sometimes I wonder, especially in the leadership world, that you know maybe there's not that many uh, uh, new and creative and unique ideas. They're, they're, they're very similar, but they're just told in a different way. And one way may really connect with you and another way may connect with you. And so hearing it in different ways or how different people describe it, uh, connect or don't connect. So, yeah, 100% yeah. agree. So usually at this time in the interview, winding down here, I usually ask for a pearl of wisdom as it relates to leadership. So what can you leave us with today as a pearl of wisdom? Something that Doc Rivers' dad taught him and uh, I'll never forget, we were on a bus ride and I asked Doc, uh, I said, uh, what's one thing that uh, your dad taught you that could apply to athletics and could, could apply to uh, everything outside of athletics? He said, he said uh, probably this. And it, it, his dad said the following, he who angers you owns you. Hmm. He who angers you owns you. If I'm in a leadership position, I mean, unless you've got a cush job, I mean, this this is how like this is where this is how the year we won the championship. This is how it went. Everyone knows it went. We won. No, it went. Guys are mad at each other. I didn't get enough shots. Oh, he's dating my girlfriend. <laughs> oh, I didn't get enough articles. It, it's a constant this, and then at yeah. the end, someone ends up there because they can rebound from all from this stuff. That, you're yeah. gonna. You're, you're, people are gonna make you uh, mad and sad. Right, so you gotta be able to deal with it. And if you can't, then whoever did that, let's take a real simple example, basketball. So, uh, and, and we've, we've talked about this with this player, so I don't mind using his name. And if DeAndre were here, he would say, yeah, I, I do have an issue with that. DeAndre Jordan, who played for us with the Clippers, he's now with the Knicks uh, via Dallas. So he, um, he would always get mad at the, the fouls that were or weren't called. Mm -hmm. on him or the ones that weren't called for him, right? Yeah. So he, for a minute and a half, he would yell at the refs going up and down the floor. So we had, everybody thought DeAndre was still on our team. No, it was just this uh, 6'11 freak athlete with long arms who could run faster than any other big guy in the, in the, in the, in the game. And he happened to be wearing a Clipper uniform, but it wasn't DeAndre Jordan. Uh -huh. You see, because the referee owned DeAndre for that one and a half minute if a coach continually gets on a referee for four or five minutes straight, the referee owns that coach. Therefore, he's not giving his team the best coaching he could give his team. Yeah. The same holds true. Uh, I mean, I, I, just from being uh, traveling around the country doing all these talks, I, I know some things that have upset leaders, mm -hmm. and they're still carrying it three weeks later. 
Yeah. So that whoever that person was or that team, they're they're owning you. You're not the best yeah. you can be if you're constantly preoccupied. You know, the best time to take care of something that's not working is now. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it, if it festers, we always used to think that's our fault, not the person yeah. who caused it. Yeah. That's our that's fault. That's very insightful. Thank you for that very much. Kevin, it's been just a real pleasure talking with you today. Uh, uh, you just bring some uh, some some great uh, ideas to, to leadership from your coaching world, and uh, I really enjoyed it, and uh, thank you for taking time to do this today. No, the thank pleasure's mine. Good luck with it all. Thank you. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of Profiles of Leadership with Steve Anderson. To view or listen to other interviews in the series, go to youtube.com and search Profiles in Leadership with Steve Anderson. You can also find the podcast version of these interviews on iTunes. Again, search for Profiles in Leadership with Steve Anderson. You can also find the interviews on my website, which is orange.coaching.com.